Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Of all the concepts that are central for Christianity, one of the most prominent and significant just has to be the love of God. I think about how much the church sings about the love of God, thanks God for his love, sees divine love as a central idea around which just about everything else revolves. But though we sing about it, pray about it, affirm it to others, I wonder if we actually think about it. I find it surprising that the church in general spends so little time in rigorous thought seeking to understand this difficult topic. In this episode, we're going to start looking at the first section in Malachi, which we could call the prologue in 1, 2 to 5. And here, Malachi says some strange and unexpected things about the love of God. In fact, as I read through the text, you'll probably notice that actually these four verses are less about the love of God and actually more about the hate of God. Of course, the Bible has a whole lot to say about both of these themes. And those who think that the love of God is kind of like a simple beginner-level doctrine and then start to study will quickly find how mistaken they are. Now, our purpose is to go through Malachi section by section. So much will have to be left unsaid. We're just focusing on what Malachi says and not so much integrating it with other parts of the Bible. Those who are looking for a fuller study would benefit from D.A. Carson's book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Now, for this series, we will spend two episodes looking at 1, 2 to 5. In the next episode, we'll consider how this concept relates to the wider thought of Malachi and how God demonstrates that he really does love Israel. But in this episode, we will consider the meaning of the love of God. Several features of this text provide good boundaries for understanding how Malachi uses the term. Keep your eye out for for them as I read our passage. I loved you, says the Lord, but you say... How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, but Esau I hated, and I set his mountains for destruction and his property to jackals of the wilderness. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will turn, or maybe uh, we again will build the ruins, thus says Yahweh of hosts, they may build, but I will break down, and they will call them the territory of wickedness and the people whom Yahweh cursed forever. And your eyes will see it, and you will say, Yahweh is magnified beyond or maybe over the territory of Israel. Several features of this text provide good boundary markers for understanding this difficult doctrine of the love of God. First, and I think most obviously, whatever God's love is, Malachi contrasts it with God's hate. Now, at first, The gut reaction, I think, for a lot of people is they think maybe there will be some clarity gained if we could look these words up in the Hebrew. So let's go to a Hebrew lexicon and see what they mean. However, you're going to be disappointed if you decide to do that. You look up the Hebrew word for love, and you'll find out that it comes from the Hebrew ahav, and it means, well, to love or to like. And it really corresponds pretty closely to the way we use the word love in English. Really not that helpful. Or you can look up the word hate, and you'll find that it comes from the Hebrew sene, which means, well, to hate. So nothing tricky is really happening in translation. Now, that's not to say that a full study of the use of these words throughout Scripture wouldn't be important or helpful, uh, but the Hebrew words do correspond pretty closely to our English. 
In fact, studying other occurrences in Scripture might actually be misleading, as we need to be careful in uh, importing foreign ideas into our context. Let me exemplify what I'm trying to say here. As an example, sene, the word for hate, also occurs in places like Genesis 29, where the Lord saw that Leah was hated, so that Jacob is the idea hated his, his first wife Leah. Now, the idea here seems to be prefer less, as Jacob doesn't literally hate Leah, but she is second place to Rachel. This same concept occurs when the Lord says that a person must hate his father and mother. And there we would say, well, it means something like, uh, it's a a hyperbole, it means you need to prefer less. However, we go to Malachi chapter 1, our verses just won't tolerate this kind of approach. Instead, notice that the passage itself explains for us in, in pretty vivid terms exactly what it means for God to hate Edom. It means their total destruction. It's hard to avoid elements of emotion in this term. God is passionately against Edom in our text. So hate, and by extension love, are not matters of unfeeling cause and effect, much less are they just matters of preferring one person over another. However, the emphasis in our text is ultimately on action. God's hatred of Edom means that they will be destroyed. Conversely, this suggests that God's love of Israel means that they will, well, not be destroyed. But once we start thinking about this, complications will immediately surface, and we're going to need to keep reading Malachi to get a robust understanding of what's going on. As you read through Malachi, it will become immediately apparent that this stark binary of hatred and destruction to Edom and love and salvation to Israel just has to be nuanced. The scope of salvation for Israel is narrowed throughout the book. Not everyone within this little settlement of Yehud should expect salvation. And though God's love still has an emotional element to it, this is far from simplistic in Malachi. Yes, God loves Israel, and that has an emotional element to it, but he doesn't always have warm, fuzzy feelings towards Israel in the book of Malachi. God will say things like uh, in 2-3, I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your feasts, and take you away with it. Or in 3-9, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. This is hardly the stuff of a Hallmark Valentine's Day card. So on the one hand, Malachi presents a passionate God who feels deeply. And so when we read that he loved Jacob, this has an emotional element to it. Of course, this will get complicated later. On the other hand, while the love of God as well as the hate of God includes passion, the primary focus is on the result, salvation or destruction. The overall context of Malachi also provides a good boundary marker for helping us wrap our minds around what he means by love and hate. We saw last time that the central theme in Malachi is covenant. Love-hate language often overlaps with election and covenant language. The commentator Ray Clendenin explains, quote, Terms for love were common in ancient Near Eastern treaties as synonyms for covenant loyalty. In Mesopotamian texts, divine love also motivated selection of a king. See also Nehemiah 13.26. Likewise, in the Hebrew Bible, especially in Deuteronomy, Ahab, love, often is found in texts dealing with choosing and with faithfulness, end quote. Now that passage that he references, Nehemiah 13.26, talks about how God loved Solomon and so made him king over all Israel. 
The emphasis is not so much on increased feelings towards Solomon, but on God's choice of him to enter into a covenant with him. So that way Solomon was king. One of the most famous covenant love texts in the Bible is Deuteronomy 7. This will help reinforce the covenant framework at play in Malachi. So I'll read a decent amount of it. Uh, Verses 6 to 13 of Deuteronomy 7 uh, say in the ESV, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. That's a long quote, but hopefully you're able to see from there how God's love is all tied up with this idea of him keeping his covenant promises. And us loving God has to do with our keeping our end of the bargain. Malachi uses this love-hate language in conjunction with the covenant by taking us back to Genesis to think about God's covenant choice of Jacob over Esau. As another boundary marker to help us understand the topic of the love of God, Malachi describes the generosity of this love. He reminds us that Jacob and Esau are brothers. And by stressing this relationship, we have what theologian John Barclay calls the priority and incongruity of grace. God's love starts the whole process and is bestowed without regard to the recipient earning them. The Apostle Paul will reference this same event in Genesis, as well as our text here in Malachi 1, 2-3, for a similar point in Romans 9, that God can dispense his love and hatred to whomever he wants. And yet, Malachi certainly has the organic connection between Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, in front of him, since he so effortlessly switches between the two. With that in mind, the hatred of the Edomites is anything but capricious or arbitrary. Obadiah, Uh, which was another book of the Twelve, is a short one-chapter book that describes the complete destruction of Edom. And there, judgment is certainly deserved. Verse 10 of Obadiah says, Because you have done violence to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. This was probably written shortly after the Babylonian invasion, in which the Edomites helped capture the Jewish people. In fact, the apocryphal 1st Ezra 4.45 says it was the Edomites who burned the temple. So where's Malachi going with all this? By emphasizing the closeness of Jacob and Esau, he shows how gracious God has been to Israel. God punished Esau's descendants, and they deserved it, something the audience would happily acknowledge. But the effect of this is to emphasize how good God had been to Esau's brother, Israel. 
However, though the love-hate matrix does have to do with salvation and destruction, it's helpful to remember that group dynamics are at play here. It seems to me that the strong language of hating in Edom may allude to Deuteronomy 23, 7-8, which reads, You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you are a sojourner in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. So an individual Edomite could still choose to devote himself to Yahweh, and if he did so, he would be accepted. But the whole group of the Edomites were destroyed at a national level. We're now in a good position to address a difficult theological question raised here. Does God love everyone? Well, love and hate are clearly used as antonyms here. And the whole thrust of Malachi's logic depends on us seeing a distinction between Jacob and Esau so that the two are opposites. In this passage, at least, God's love for Israel is not his love for Esau. Instead, he hates Esau. If we don't grant that distinction, then the whole logic of this unit falls apart. So yes, in a sense, God only loves some and hates others. There are other scriptures that do emphasize God's universal love. John 3.16 comes to mind. God so loved the world. Furthermore, even Paul in Romans, the one who can quote Malachi 1, 2 to 3, also affirms that God demonstrates his love even towards his own enemies. So how can we put these together in a coherent way? I think the definition of love that we have been exploring goes a long way in answering this question. God's love and hate in Malachi 1, 2 to 3 fundamentally have to do with salvation and judgment within the covenant. In a sense, God does love everyone and wants everyone to be saved. And yet the way that he has made this possible is within a restricted setting. And Malachi will not be the least in the biblical witness to emphasize this, that not all Israel is Israel. God wants everyone to be saved, but only by being rightly related to him. From our vantage point, we can say that God wants everyone to be saved, but he wants them to be saved within the scope of being in Christ. God does so love the world, but he has so decreed that only those who believe in his Son shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.